1998, there was this movie called Sliding Doors. Anybody remember this movie? It's Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, and I got to be honest, I'm not sure that I've seen it, all right? I, I think I saw it, but it was a long time ago. But I remember the premise of it. And here's the premise of the movie. Gwyneth Paltrow is working a job, and she loses her job, and she goes down this kind of subway place and gets stalled at a certain spot, and in the first set of the movie, she misses her train. And because she misses her train, because of this one moment, because of this one simple choice she makes, it unleashes all of these different things. I'm super nerdy like, about things like this. Like, if you think about your life and think about, well, what if I would have this? What if I would have gone to a different high school? What if I had chosen to go to a different college? What if I, uh, this idea of the choices we make determining our future is intriguing to me. The fact that we make like millions of choices, I think, every day. That we're over and over again processing all this information. And, and, and there's people that are stuck in these moments of the choices that they made. So then the second half of the movie, she goes down the subway, but she doesn't choose to stop or slow down and talk to this person. And she catches her train. And it shows how her life lived out in both of these sequences and how different this one moment changed everything. And, and we don't think about that as we go through life. We don't think about like how dramatically different our day could actually turn out if we chose different things, if we stepped into something different, if we lived a different way, if we made a different choice, how different things could be. And so I get nerded out by like, the, I don't know, it's like the space-time continuum or something, like thinking through how all of these things could happen and, and what if this and what, what if that and, and all of these different things in our life. And so today, our passage leads us to this place where we talk about the power of a moment. The power of a single moment to transform not only our life, but the life of those around us. The power of one significant choice of obedience. The power of one risk. The power of one sacrifice. Because our life is made up of all of these choices every single day. And oftentimes we go through life as if we're not making choices. We go through life as if everything is predetermined and predestined, as if God is pulling all the strings up in heaven, and as if we don't have free will and choices to make our own decisions and our own things that happen throughout the day. And what happens oftentimes is we live paralyzed from our choices. We're, we're disconnected from the choices we make. So we're not even aware of the choices that we're making. We're not even aware of the power of a moment. So none of us get to choose to live. Like our parents chose that for us, right? But all of us get to choose how we live. And so there's power in a moment. And then there's ripples in a moment. There's ripples in a moment to where every single moment is like pregnant with possibility. Every single moment is present to the power of God. Every single moment is an opportunity for us to do something, for us to see something, for God's presence to be revealed, for God's power to be interacted, for amazing things to happen. And so we're in Acts chapter 8, and last week we started talking about the gospel moving out. The gospel is growing and moving from Jerusalem to Samaria, 
So the second generation of disciples, Philip and Stephen, have decided they're not just going to set the tables, but they're going to do all the things that the disciples were doing, which are all the things that Jesus was doing, and they're going to step into the life that God has called them to, and they're going to do something dramatic. So remember, Jesus told them to go to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now they're in chapter 8, and it isn't until chapter 8 that they moved outside of Jerusalem. And so there's some crisis that happens. Stephen is killed. There is a crisis that becomes the catalyst for their obedience. They begin moving out. And what we see is this small little tribe of people, this 3,000 to 5,000 people in 700 years becomes half of the Roman Empire. Nobody was amazed by that as much as I was. No, I, think about that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, 3,000 3, to 5,000 people all of a sudden becomes half of the world in 700 years. It's amazing what happens. It's the greatest reformation. It's the greatest revival. It's the greatest movement of the spirit that there's ever been in the history of the world. And so what's happening here matters, and it's things that we need to pay attention to. I hear a lot of people around here who are praying for revival in Cobb County. We're praying that the spirit of God would do something new and do something fresh. Who are praying for justice. Who are praying for racial reconciliation. Who are praying for good news to come to the poor. Who are praying for strongholds to be broken and freedom to come to the captives. Who are praying for all of these things. And I want to suggest that we get here in Acts chapter 8 a picture of how our prayers meet our choices. Because there is a passivity to our prayers at times where we pray as if our prayers don't require us to do anything, as if God's going to act outside of our obedience, as if God's going to act outside of our sacrifices, as if God's going to move regardless of whether we move with him. It's as if we hand our problems to God and say, you do something about it. My kids do that to me all the time. My children want me to do their homework. Anybody with me? Right? I, and I don't know how to do math anymore. Anybody with me on that? Whatever, all you teachers, new math is absolute garbage. I hate you all, right? Uh, I, I, can't, I can't help my daughter who's 10 do math because every time I do it, she's like, that's not how we do it. I'm like, well, that's right. That's how we're supposed to do it. There, but, but here's what happens. My kids will be doing homework. They'll be getting frustrated and they come to me and what they want is not for me to help them figure it out. They want me to do it for them. And what I want as a good father is I want them to learn. I want them to know how this works. We do the same thing with the Lord. It's as if we take him our homework and say, you do it. And the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. I want to teach you. I want you to grow. I want you to learn to walk in my spirit. I want you to learn to be with me. I want you to learn to be dependent on my power and my presence. I want you to long to hear the Father's voice. I want Jesus said we know the shepherd's voice. And we know it because we've learned it by paying attention to it. Because we've connected to him over and over and over again. So Acts chapter 8 verse 26 says this. Now Philip, Philip is an evangelist. Philip has just met Simon the Magician. Remember the the Dungeons and Dragons kid last week, right? He's just moved into Samaria and, and he's wandering through his life and it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, 
that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So here, there's an interesting thing that happens in this passage because on the front end of it, it says an angel appeared and on the back end of it, it said led by the spirit. And so I don't know what, I don't know how God interacted with, with him in that moment. I don't know if there was like an angel standing before him. I think it's easier for us sometimes to imagine that there was like an angel that appeared to him and that we don't get that stuff. You with me? That this stuff only happened in the New Testament, that it only happened in those moments where Jesus had just appeared, where the power and presence of Jesus was still working and acting, and these kinds of things happened to us. But the interesting thing in here in Acts chapter 8 is, is one passage says uh, an angel appeared, another says led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit is just like the voice in our head. It's, it's we're discerning that God is speaking. We're recognizing that God is up to something. Our, our Holy Spirit tinglies start to happen, and we get a sense that God is asking me to do something, that God is asking me to step out. And so it doesn't matter to me how God spoke to Philip. It matters to me that he did. It doesn't matter to me how God speaks to any of us. It matters to me that we're listening. So for many of us, we may never see the presence of an angel standing in front of us, but we'll hear the still small voice of God speaking. We may never see Gabriel with his sword sparkling standing right there, but we will hear the quiet voice of the Father calling us and leading us. And so there's something really impressive and really important for us to pay attention to right here off the beginning with Philip of how did this happen? I want this. Because the angel shows up and says, I want you to go. I want you to go south on this road. It's a desert, right? I want you to go into the desert. Right? He's not sending him to like the, the mall where there's a bunch of people and telling him you're going to find this guy at the mall. He's sending him into the desert where nobody is traveling, where there's not a lot of action. He's not going down I-75, Right? He's not traveling the main road. He's traveling whatever country road you can imagine that goes to nowhere in Georgia, and there's a lot of them. Right? He's going that way. Right? He's headed to whatever county you imagine when you imagine there's nothing going on in that place. The Spirit of God says, go there. Go to this place that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And here's the first thing that we notice in Philip. There is a radical trust of the Spirit. Because oftentimes what happens is when the spirit begins to speak, when God begins to invite us into something, what we do is we try and make sense of it before we obey. We seek to understand it before we seek to obey. We try and figure out what God is doing before we step into the places that he's called us to. And so I want to sort this all out in my head. In this room right now, there are introverted thinkers Right? They're introverted processors. There's thinkers who want to figure everything out before they speak. This is me. I, I want to have everything figured out in my head before I speak, which makes preaching an interesting experience for me. Right? I want to have all the answers. I want to have it all figured out. And so when I'm my, my wife is an extroverted processor. And so she talks until she figures it out. I stay quiet until I figure it out. Right? And so, so what happens oftentimes is my wife is talking to figure something out. And she's like, why aren't you talking? It's because I'm trying to figure it out. Well, I need you to talk with me. We got to talk it out. And I don't want to talk it out. I want to think it out. I want to I figure it out before I speak because oftentimes I speak without figuring it out. And then I look like an idiot. 
And so this is what we wanna do oftentimes. We want the interpretation of the revelation before we step into the place that God's called us. And oftentimes what God is doing is he's not giving us the interpretation of the revelation. He's asking us to trust him. And as we walk, each step that we take, we get a little more revelation. It's progressive revelation. It's that as we obey, as we step into the places that we're called to, as we listen to where God is leading, piece by piece by piece by piece, he reveals more of his nature, more of his calling, more of his presence, more of his power, but he does it as we obey. There's something really powerful about that. We don't have to figure it out. The second thing that is amazing about this is Philip was willing to do what he wasn't qualified to do. I think for many of us, we want so badly to be competent. We want so badly to feel secure in the fact that we're doing the things that we know how to do. So there are things that I know how to do that I'm comfortable doing. Malcolm Gladwell says, you've put in your 10,000 hours, right? There's thing, I, I've put in my 10,000 hours of preaching. I feel pretty good. I can do it. I've done it many times. I, I've figured out how to do some of this stuff. But there's other things where I feel like the Lord's asking me to do it where I haven't put in my 10,000 hours, where I don't feel like an expert, where I don't feel like I know all the answers, where I do feel like, what if I say something wrong? What if I do something wrong? What if I pray a prayer for healing and the person doesn't get healed? What if I pray for God's presence and God's presence doesn't show up? What if this happens? What if this happens? And so rather than stepping into what I'm unqualified to do, trusting that God has qualified me and that he's going to be the one that does the work, I shrink back. And what we see Philip doing is stepping into what he's not qualified to do. He's going out in the middle of the desert to meet somebody who he doesn't know, to tell them a word that he he hasn't even been given the word yet. He doesn't even know what message he's supposed to deliver. He's just walking out in the desert and looking for something. And for many of us, we either want to figure it all out or we feel unqualified to step out, and so we never step into the revelation the Father gives us. We never listen and obey because we want to figure it all out, because we want to have all the answers, because we're hoping and praying. We don't have a faith for what we can't see. Our faith is only in what we can see. It's only in what's right in front of us, and we don't have eyes for the kingdom. We trust only what's temporal. We trust only what's in front of us. And, and listen, if we only, in, in a day's work, if we only accomplish what we're qualified to do, it's not been a good day. If we're gonna walk with the Father, he's going to call us to places where we're uncomfortable. He's going to call us to places where we're unqualified. He's gonna invite us into spaces where we don't necessarily know all the answers or feel confident or feel competent or feel ready to do all the things that he's called us to do. What we're doing is we're trusting that the power resides in him and not in me. All right, guys, what we're, we, we need to get a little more excitement in the room with this stuff. All right, we're trusting that God is good, that he's able to do immeasurably more than we hope for or imagine, and that the power to do these things doesn't live in me. It's not my responsibility to bring breakthrough. It's not my responsibility to do anything other than to be faithful to what God asked me to do. I am faithful, he brings the fruit. I obey, he brings the power. I trust, and he brings the breakthrough. 
This is how the spirit of God works. This is how the family of God works. This is the call on our lives. And so what we do is we create a passivity where we wanna sit every single week and we wanna receive. We wanna get what we can get, but we don't ever wanna step out into the things that God has called us to. Philip was willing to do what he wasn't qualified to do. The next thing was the idea that Philip trusted that God's words of revelation were not just for the insiders. Philip trusted that God's word of revelation was not just for the church. So I, I, I get a sense around here that God has been stirring something. That the spirit of God has been moving and working. And, and what I'm seeing in this place is some really cool things. What, we got 10 people being baptized, so the spirit of God's moving, right? What, what, what we're seeing in here is we're seeing some miracles happen. We're seeing some healings happen. We're seeing some breakthrough happen. We're seeing some prophetic revelation of God where people are praying for one another and they're experiencing the power and the presence of God in a new way. But here's the thing that we're doing with it, guys, and I gotta challenge us on it, is we're using those gifts for us. We're using those gifts for the insiders. We pray for healing for the people that are a part of our family or community or house church, but we're afraid to pray for healing for somebody at the gas station. We'll give a prophetic word to somebody that is here in our church and say, I think this will encourage my friends, and so I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to step into this, but we're afraid to give a prophetic word to somebody outside of the church. We're willing to serve each other when we put things on the blackboard out there that says, I want, I have. We're willing to do that inside of this space, but we're not willing to do this outside of this space. And can I suggest that the spirit of God is going to move and is going to break through in this community and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is gonna move in a new and a fresh way when we start using the gift of God for people that are outside of these walls. When we're brave enough and courageous enough to be the ones who step out and lean into it and live into it. Verse 27. So he started out on his way, which is great. That's, that sometimes that's the most important thing. Right? It's not that he had it figured out. It's not that he knew that he, what he was doing. It's that he started off on his way. It's kind of like a reluctant obedience. All right, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to start off on my way. And I'm going to pray that you showed up. He started off on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, there, uh, you can look this up online and find out some information about it. But, but here's the reality of what a eunuch is. A eunuch is someone who has cut off their parts so that they won't have children. All right? We, we with, do I need to go any further with that? Is, are we good with just stopping there? Because there's an awkward moment here where there's a lot of jokes in my head and a lot of funny things that we could talk about here. But I think it's inappropriate for this setting. So let's just go with... An Ethiopian eunuch. And here's, the, who's the, here, here's what would happen with, with eunuchs. Um, eunuchs, especially in, um, in certain cultures, were placed in positions of great authority and of great power to serve a king or a leader. And what the leader or the king thought was, I need a non-distracted person. And so what the king would say is, that kind of stuff distracts us, Right? So what if they have kids? What if they get married? What if they have certain urges that distract them from doing the work that's required to serve me? And so they would, they would say, you've got to get rid of this stuff, right? Okay, you guys are with me. You're with me. All right. So he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's an important official who's in charge of the treasury of Candake, which means he's in charge 
of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. So this guy is incredibly important. He's the treasurer of a nation. And Ethiopia was a nation that had great, great wealth at this time. Remember the queen of Sheba as we track back through scripture? Great wealth, great leader. And so here's this, this man who is, he's in charge of the treasury of a nation. What this guy is. This is not some like random guy on the road. This is a powerful, powerful man who has a position of power, who has great, great wealth, who has amazing, incredible influence in the world around him, who is traveling on this road. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So here's what had happened. This is, this is all, there's an undertext to this that's really, really important. So this man, this eunuch, had gone to Jerusalem. So this is a guy who I would suggest is searching, right? You don't take that trip. This is not just like a, I'm going to drive over to Athens and check out a UGA game. Like this is a months and months and months of travel to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. I'm going to do this on the road. I'm going to sacrifice. Like there, there, there are people that would suggest that he sacrificed his position as the treasurer of the country to go do this. That it was so important that he was so, he was such a seeker of what is God doing that God had stirred in his heart in such a way that he was willing to give up everything to take this journey of, I got to find something. Like, I, I, I don't care what it takes for me to discover what's real, for me to discover what's true. I'm willing to go to the ends of the earth to get it and to experience it and, and, and to receive it. And so I'll take this trip no matter what the cost for my life, no matter what happens. But the problem was, is as he got to the temple, he wasn't allowed in. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 says this, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God. And I really like the KJV version for all the teenagers in the room. He that is wounded in the stones. I don't know if you played these sports and fellas and ever been wounded in the stones. Uh, But he who is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. So here's what he's doing. Listen to this. This is important. I know this is a little silly. I think it's sillier than you guys do uh, because I'm giggling about it and you guys aren't as much. But 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 here's the thing. Here's what's happening. He goes he go. He takes this giant trip. I've got to discover the Lord. I want to understand the presence of God. I want to meet him. I want to experience his presence. I want to find him. I want to go to that church. I want to see him. I want to hear the preaching. I want to experience what God is doing. And he gets to the gates and they say, no, you're not allowed in. Imagine the heartbreak that this man's just found. This is a guy who has everything, but he doesn't have a family. He has everything, but he's searching for something else. He's gone to great lengths to to, to encounter the presence of God, and he finds out that the presence of God isn't there. I don't know if any of you are in here who don't know Jesus and have been searching your whole life and are like, I don't know where else to go, so I'll go to this church in Marietta, and this guy's up there talking about eunuchs. I, I, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what's going on here, but here's the message that comes out of this. It's, I don't know if you have been searching for me, but I am searching for you. 
I don't know how long you've been journeying to get to me, but I am gonna come to you. The presence of God and the power of God doesn't depend on us coming to him. The power and presence of God wants to come to us. The word of God in our lives, the revelation of God in our lives, the healing of God in our life wants to come to us. The story of scripture is not we seek God and try and chase him down. It's God reaches out to us over and over and over again in his goodness, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, when we don't deserve it, he comes to us. Can I just say that the church throughout its history has operated like the temple more than we'd like? That the church has created lines of insiders and outsiders? That the church is the most segregated hour in our nation every single Sunday morning? That the church has not been a place where everybody feels welcome, where everybody feels loved, where everybody feels like there's a place for them. And I pray to God that there's never a day when somebody walks away from our family of faith and feels like I wasn't allowed in. And I'm not talking about the doors out there. I'm talking about into our hearts. I'm talking about into our community. I'm talking about into our fellowship. I'm talking about sitting at our tables. May it never be said of us that people aren't welcomed in or told that they don't belong. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Notice the progressive revelation, right? Go to the desert. When he gets to the desert, there's another kind of inkling. Oh, I got to go where this chariot is. And I imagine this, uh, chariots, I don't, I don't know much about chariots, but I imagine they're faster than humans. You with me? I don't know how athletic Philip was, but he's like chasing a chariot in the middle of the desert, like jogging. I don't know if he has his jogging shorts on. I don't know if he's been working out. I don't know what's going on here, but it's, it's this funny moment of this, like this dude chasing a chariot in the, in the middle of the desert. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? So this eunuch is still searching. He's still searching the text of God. He's still searching the word of God. He's still trying to discover what he took his journey to discover. And and he says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? I drove all this way. I went all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem so somebody would explain this to me. I tried to go to the temple. I've been seeking God. I've been trying to do the right thing. I've been trying to follow him. But how am I supposed to figure this out unless somebody comes to me and explains it to me? I was traveling on an airplane once. I was going on a, on a missions trip. And I sat next to a guy who did um, relief efforts in, in, a, in an African country. And he began to tell me about all the corruption in the country, all the troubles, all the battles that they faced. He began to say like, and, and the word that he used is this place is God forsaken. And I looked him in the eyes and I don't have a lot of moments where I, like my courage really stirs up. But I looked him in the eyes and I said, I can promise you that place is not God forsaken. I know without a shadow of a doubt that that place is not God forsaken. And he said, how do you know that this place is not God forsaken? I said, because I'm on an airplane and I'm flying there right now. Because God invited me to take this trip and I obeyed. And because I brought 20 of my friends with me and we're bringing the good news of Jesus to this place because God has not forgotten. He's moving. The problem is, is when the, people of the world, when the people of God fail to bear fruit, the world goes hungry. 
when God is quietly stirring and calling us and leading us to go to the gas station, to go to the neighborhood, to go to the high school, to go to the event, to go to the people that are not like us, and we're comfortable sitting here week after week in our own seats, worshiping God, but not obeying him, then suddenly the people of the world begin to go hungry. He says, come up and sit with me. Again, our job isn't to evaluate the word of God, it's to step into it. The passage of scripture the eunuch was reading, this is Isaiah chapter 53, says this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice for who can speak for his descendants for his life was his life taken away from him. And the eunuch said to Philip, please tell me who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is Isaiah talking about Isaiah or is he talking about someone else? And then Philip began with the very scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Talk about an evangelistic moment where the ball was put on the tee. The guy just said to him, please, would you tell me about Jesus? <laughs> right? Would you please tell me about Jesus? Would you please tell me about what, who he is and what his life is going on and, and, and what's happening inside of him and through him? And so he told him about Jesus. He unlocked the story of Jesus's life. He said, this is who Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about the resurrected Savior who came to save us from our sins, who came to offer grace, who came to offer forgiveness, who came to give us life, and who laid his life down so that we might be forgiven and we might become free. And here's the amazing thing, because I imagine they sat and talked for a while. This guy had traveled like for months. It was okay for him to spend an extra hour with Philip talking about this. And I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 56, verse 3. Remember, this is a guy who'd just been rejected. This is a guy who'd just been sent to the temple, who is three chapters ahead of this. 53, 56, right? Here's what it says. Do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. Even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name that is better than the sons of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I don't think that's a funny pun at the end, right? I will give them a name. Like, listen to the good news in this. Like, this is the good news that every single one of us long to receive and long to hear from the Father. You will be my son. You will be my daughter. There is a place for you. It's better than my sons and daughters. I will give you a name, an everlasting name. Imagine the good news that comes to this eunuch in this moment. Imagine the breakthrough that begins to happen when he begins to hear the good news of who he is. Imagine what begins to happen when, like we sang before, we believe that we're a child of God versus the lies of the enemy that have been told to us our entire life. This guy, his entire life has been told, you don't belong. There's not a place for you. You are only worth your mind and your energy and what you can accomplish to me. This man had been used and deceived and had become a slave. And suddenly the spirit of God shows up and says, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. That, that, that stuff that doesn't get to name you because I've given you a name and you're not a slave. You're a son. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Far too often, what we see in Scripture and the way that we live out our lives doesn't cohere. 
And as I've been reading this passage this week, and our, our team went to a conference this week, and we've been praying for you guys, and I, I just, like, our team has just felt an overwhelming sense of love for you guys. An overwhelming sense of love for our church. And as we've been praying and as we've been seeking the Lord, I just, I want us to see what Philip saw. Are you with me? I want us to see lives that are transformed. I want to see the bad news broken off like scales and like chains and the good news being lived into. I want to be the people who get to carry the good news of Christ to the next generation, to the world, to the neighborhood, to the nations, all over the place, wherever he calls us to go. I want to go. I get a sense that in here right now, there's somebody who's getting called to the mission field and God is going to use you in a powerful, powerful way if you will take the first steps of faith. And you may not know what those steps are and you may not know how to figure it out, but he's calling you to take a first step and that first step is on your mind right now and your job is to obey. Over and over and over again, this stuff is happening. And what happens in our life is we don't cohere to it. It's like there's a gap between what we want and our choices. We want God to do the homework for us. We want God's presence to just show up powerfully and zap us and amazing things happen. And God says, I can do that. My power is not dependent on you. It's not dependent on your obedience. It's not dependent on your strength. But the beauty of God is that he wants to exhibit his power through his broken people. How cool is that? How amazing is that? That God actually, listen to this, this is incredible. God actually wants to share his glory with us. He wants to share his glory with us. He wants us to be a part of the story of how he breaks through. He wants us to get to see the scales fall off and the freedom come. So verse 36 says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Can I just say to our church, look, here is water. Next Sunday, look, here is water. The, the path, the journey of the people of God was they repented, they believed, and they were baptized. And, and, and repentance and belief is available to you today, and baptism is available to you next week. We would love for that 10 to turn into 20 next week. Look, there's water. It's not there yet because Frankie's got to figure it out. But there will be water in there next week, all right? It's going to happen. We're, we're going to be baptizing up in here. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be praising the Lord. There is water right there. And he says this, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? This is Philip's question, or this is the, the eunuch's question. What can stand in my way? Because I've been told I don't belong. What can stop me from experiencing the presence and the power, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the love of God? What can stop me from experiencing that? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Stop it. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. This is what I want. So I want in my life. It's what I want in our church. It's what I want in the Grace family. Is I want a movement of people who listen and obey. A movement of people who can hear the still small voice of the Father, and when He calls, they step into it. This is the first non-Jewish convert in the New Testament. A eunuch from Ethiopia. 
I want that to soak in for a minute. Think about somebody who is different than the disciples. There's probably no one on earth that's more different than the eunuch. Somebody who the religious leaders said, there's not a place for you. And God said, there's absolutely a place for you. And can we take this a little further? Remember how we talked about choices at the beginning? Sometimes our choices have ripples. Thousands of years after this passage was written, my wife and I flew to Ethiopia, which is the lone Christian nation that sits in the middle of Africa. Somebody handed me my daughter. It's from Ethiopia. Said, this is your child. There's no greater gift that I've ever received in my life than my kids and my wife. And I believe this happened because Philip went out on a desert road. And it's been rippling for generations. We don't understand the depths of the ripples of the choices we make. We don't understand the echoes of heaven. We don't understand the power of a moment, the power of our choices. We don't understand that there are sliding doors that we can walk through every single day that can change the destiny, not only of our life, but of generations of lives. You know what else Ethiopia was known as? that time, it was known as the ends of the earth. Remember what Jesus told them? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It was as if Jesus said, it's pretty hard for you to get to the ends of the earth, so I'll bring the ends of the earth to you. How amazing is our God? How incredible is our God? So, so for us, as we think about this today and as we enter into this, we're going to enter into a time of communion as we do every week. And here's what I'd love for us to pray about. I I would love for you to start praying about what's my desert road? What's my desert road? Where have you been stirring in my life towards obedience and I've been afraid? Where have you been inviting me to go and I haven't stepped into it all the way? Where have you been calling me and leading me and I've been trying to figure it out in my head or trying to get you to do my homework for me? And where is my desert road that you're inviting me into this week? And I just wonder what it would look like for us just to quiet ourselves before the Lord. And if, listen, if you don't have a desert road, if you're thinking, I don't know what this guy's talking about, I want you to just pray. I want you just to pray and say, Lord, is there a place that you're leading me? Is there a person that you want to lay on my heart? Is there a, is there a home or a neighborhood or a name or a person or a place or anything that you're calling me to love and to serve, or you're just calling me to show up and look for the chariot. And we trust and we show up and we look for the the chariot. And then I, I just think there's people in this room who, when you read this story, you don't find yourself in Philip, you find yourself in the eunuch. And I want you to know that as much faith and obedience as Philip had in his heart, the Ethiopian eunuch had the same level of faith in his heart. He was willing to go anywhere to experience the power and presence of God. He was willing to be baptized. He was willing to learn. He was willing to lay down everything to follow Jesus because he believed that that following Jesus was greater than anything else he'd ever been followed in his whole life. 
And there are some people in this room who you have never made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never said to him, God, I give you my whole life. you're, You're gonna be my Savior, but you're also gonna be my Lord, which means everything that I have belongs to you now. And today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. And it's available to you and it's present for you. And here's the thing. You may have showed up here not knowing why you're here or what you're here for, but God sent me to tell you. And he sent our community to love you and to invite you into our family and say, hey, we're, we're 100%, not a, we're not the greatest family in the world. We got our own flaws, right? But we'll give you whatever we have. When we risk enough to follow God and we don't know the results, when we follow God's heartbeat outside of these walls and we find our desert roads and obey, that's when revival's gonna come to this church, guys. I say that with 100% confidence. The Lord has been revealing that in visions and in dreams and in prophetic words for the last four months. And here's the thing, I'm, I'm just gonna say this boldly. That message is not for the pastors to do. It's for the church to do. I can't make you do it. I can't control it. I can't force it. And in fact, control isn't love. And so there's nothing I can do other than love you into it and say, I believe in you and I trust you and I believe in the power and the presence of God. And I believe that when we step out, God shows up. And so, Father God, I pray that that would be true. I pray that you would give us our desert roads. I pray that you would reveal to us the spaces and the places that you've called us to. And I pray that we would radically obey without trying to figure it out. The Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. We know you don't need invited, but we invite you anyway. Our way of just humbly submitting and surrendering and saying we want to hear from you. We want to know you. We want to see the power of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in our our midst. We want to see you do more. We want to be more available to you and to what you're doing. So I pray right now that a fresh wind would fall over this place. I pray that you would do a new thing. Lord, we don't want you to do what you've done before. We don't want you to do what you've done in, in, in our community or in our midst again. We don't want you to do what you've done in other grace churches. We want you to do a new thing right here. And we trust and we believe you for it. We have faith enough to know. So build our faith, Father. Show us our roads and teach us to obey. It's in your holy name we pray.